0: Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You're listening to a TVO podcast.
2: Welcome to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. I'm Colin Ellis.
1: And I'm Nam Kiwanuka. Hey, Colin, so how are you holding out?
2: I'm doing well. Uh, my cat is uh, trying to take over your co-hosting gig, but uh, I've, told him, I've told him many times, no, he's not ready for prime time just yet. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's me. How about you?
1: Uh, I'm okay. I'm holding up. i looking forward to the warm weather and my birthday month, which is in May. So I'll send you a Ooh. list of things that I would love to get for my birthday. I'm right kidding. On. You don't have to get I'll me anything.
2: I'll, I'll get right on that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so what documentary are we talking about today?
2: Well, we're going to be looking at a short doc called What Are You, which explores the experiences of 11 mixed-race Canadians.
1: One of my grandparents told one of my parents, don't have kids because your kids are going to look like aliens. I've never felt that I could say that I am black.
0: However, that is completely different from what people perceive me as or describe me as
2: in the span of one day and like a 20 minute drive, I could go from being seen as white to be seen as black. Has anyone ever asked you that question? What are you?
1: Uh, So many times. And when I'm feeling cheeky, I say I'm human. But other times um, when I'm trying to understand where they're coming from, I ask, what do you mean? Um, (laughs) Do you want to hear a story of how I once made a small child cry?
2: Nam, are you scaring children again? I know.
1: That's my (laughs) other job. Um, No. Uh, A few years ago, I was in Uganda, and I was working with an aid agency, and I was filming uh, for them. So we went into a village outside of Kampala, maybe four hours. And when we approached this family's home, um, they were in front of the house. And then this little girl looked at me. And then she started yelling, Muzungu, Muzungu. Muzungu means white person mm. in Swahili. And uh, she cried and then ended up running back into the house. I was the whitest person she had ever seen. And in that moment, you know, I was kind of heartbroken because I'm from Uganda. And so I was saying, you know, my name is Namugeni And, you know, but it was interesting how on the other side, you know, um, how, you know, there are people who are very much afraid of uh, people with fair skin.
2: Well you know that question of what are you you know it comes up in this film and obviously it's the name of the doc we 're going to be talking about and it 's from director Richard Pierre and uh, we have him on with a woman in the film named Gina Marie who is also the founder of Mixed in the Six, which is a group that brings together mixed race people so let's go hear that conversation Well Richard and Gina, thank you so much for joining me today on on Docs.
3: Thanks for having us Thanks for having us. <laughs>
2: Well, I guess we should probably all kind of identify ourselves. I mean, we're all mixed race people, but maybe we could uh, just talk about uh, our our own backgrounds. Maybe Richard, if you want to start us off.
0: Sure. Uh, I don't know. What's my background? Uh, My mom's from Trinidad. My dad's from Canada. So... If you go into the whole racial thing, uh, I'm part black, part white, and according to a DNA test I took as part of this film process, uh, part indigenous South American. So still trying to figure out that part of the ancestry. So I have to do some researching.
2: But
3: Yeah, so I am mixed Filipino-Canadian. My mom is from the Philippines, from uh, Northern Luzon. Uh, my dad is, he identifies as Canadian, um, he's white. He is adopted uh, <laughs> by uh, my grandparents who say that they're Scottish, although oh, the Ode's last name, which is my last name, uh, is English, so I'm not sure if they really know. Um, and then I also, similar to, to Richard, did uh, a DNA test, uh, ancestry DNA, and uh, turns out my dad's background is uh, pretty much equal like welsh and french with like some icelandic and you know other little one percent here and there that i'm not really (laughs) sure how to track but that that's been an interesting um more of a recent uh discovery because i I just did my my dad did his dna test and i did my dna test um like sort of in the last few years just after mix in the six was uh co-founded so it's been an interesting interesting journey
2: and uh, well, for myself, you know, I'm, I'm, I identify as mixed race, but I always like to say that I'm I'm uh, black biracial. So my dad is black, and my mom's white. And his uh, his parents were from Jamaica and Barbados, respectively. And my mom is uh, uh, her she's got English on her mom's side, and I guess um, probably Swiss or or Irish on her dad's side. I'm not really sure about that side of the family. But um, when that question comes up, what are you? And that's the title of your film, Richard. Uh, Do you hate that question? Do you love that question? What do you, what do you, what's, what, what response do you usually give when people say that to you?
0: Yeah. I mean, my personal (laughs) feelings about that question are uh, that I don't like it. Uh, It just, I don't know. It fills me with dread and anxiety when people ask that question, because a lot of the time when it's asked, it's like a complete stranger. And oftentimes it's like the first question they ask you and they're not really interested in having a conversation with you so much as like satisfying their curiosity. So yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't like that question in, in general. However, when a mixed person asks that question of me, I have a different reaction. And I think that's because I tend to think it's coming from a different place. It's, it's coming from i I'm trying to understand that you are like me and I just wanna know if I'm right
3: yeah similarly well so growing up I got that question all the time I grew up in a, a small town north of Toronto where pretty much everyone was white except for me and a handful of other people including my brother and sister <laughs> um, like visibly uh, Caucasian and it always just felt very othering like I felt uh, no different than anyone else, but hearing that was just kind of a constant reminder that I appeared differently to, to others. And that was always a kind of a perplexing experience because being mixed race, um, identity is something that's quite confusing from the early stages. And so when you're constantly asked a question that, um, sort of is, puts you in a distance from everyone else, like, what are you, where are you from? Uh, it's, you know, it was, it was Little disheartening. I got used to it over the years. Now, when people ask me that, I I do kind of feel like it's an opportunity to have a conversation about, well, I'm a human being. (laughs) (laughs) um, But I think what you're asking is, what's my you know heritage and ethnic background, and then I'll kind of get into it. Um, And uh, similar to what I shared in the the film, um, what are you? I, I think depending on the rapport that I have with someone or the, the the vibe, if it's sort of genuine curiosity, or if it's like an, an interrogative investigative question, like I need to know what you are and where you're from, because I, you know, I, they almost, some people have a bit of a, <laughs> and they take like an investigative journalism must know kind of ans- like uh, vibe. Um, I might just kind of stop it there. So it's, it depends. Um, and I think when I'm in mixed race spaces, oftentimes where a lot of folks and myself included are, are asking like what's your mix <laughs> like well, what about you <laughs> like it, it definitely has a different uh a different uh, energy so yeah
2: yeah yeah i have a complicated relationship with that question as well because i think you know like you said it, it, when it's when it's asked by someone who's mixed race or you know it, like, especially when it's like a stranger it, it kind of can come off as a little jarring but when it's someone who's i guess have a similar background as you you can sort of understand where they're coming from. When I've, when I've been asked that question, it was usually um, uh, when I was probably in high school and, and, and in my college years because I had a, a much bigger Afro back then and I was a little more visibly, I guess, racially ambiguous. And then when I turned 28, 29, around that age, my hair started to, fall, <laughs> lose, my, I started to lose my hair a little bit. So I was no longer uh, as uh, racially ambiguous because I decided to shave my head and I looked like just like any other uh, bald white guy. And phenotypically, you know, I, I think I look more white than I do black. So oftentimes I don't really get uh, asked that question and I kind of miss it in a weird way. It's it's strange. Like, it's like, you don't know what you're, what you're missing until it's, it's gone, right? Like (laughs) on the one hand you're like, oh, well, uh, I don't really like when you, you know, people ask me that. But at the same time, when they stop asking me, it, it feels like a bit of a loss. Well, I guess, uh, Richard, we should ask you about your your film, because uh, what are you? I, I remember, I think you and I talked about it when we first met a few years ago. And uh, this is, your, I think, your first doc? Yeah, it's my first doc. Uh, and I, I always like to say that
0: I was really lazy and I decided to do the easiest documentary possible, uh, which was uh, <laughs> one on being mixed race, because I'm mixed race. So therefore, I'm already an expert. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I still had to do a ton of research. It wasn't uh, as easy as a process as I would have hoped, but, uh, yeah, it's a 20 minute doc where I interview 11 different people and sort of get their perspective on what it's like being racially mixed in a society that does have a complicated relationship with race.
2: I guess what made you kind of, um, think about like turning it into a documentary and I know because I know you've done a lot of short films so I wonder why you thought documentary was the, the best format for this.
0: Yeah I mean I've always wanted to make a documentary like for years I've come up with a bunch of different ideas and I was I always just sort of struggled with the idea that if you start a documentary how do you know when you get to the end uh, I, I feel like it could be like something you spend your lifetime working on. Um, so again, I, I went to sort of the mixed race identity thing, and I, I thought I could tell a you know cohesive short story um, that would appeal to audiences. Um, I think the real if there, if there was a moment in time that really inspired it, I watched uh, a great documentary at TIFF. I think. 2017 maybe uh, it was I'm not your Negro uh, that came out and I was just like floored that documentary really hit me Um, and then I was talking with uh, some filmmakers at TIFF and it all sort of sort of came out of that and I was like I need to make a documentary I need to do it now and it's going to be about being mixed Um, and yeah I just felt like I felt really drawn to the subject matter uh, I don't know
2: why I hadn't thought of it sooner. Well, Gina, you're in the film, and I wonder—I'm curious to know why you decided to take part in it.
3: I mean, you—you it, it, you know when the the universe and the stars align and something comes to you, and you're like, "I have to do this." <laughs> I mean, I—I I, I could. It, that was really—that was really it. I, um, I, you know, I have a a bit of a, a story, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I do remember introducing the two of you at a mix in the six event like a number of years ago is this
2: you did yes. yeah so
3: this is very cool this is all coming full circle well <laughs> so richard richard i remember meeting you there and when you said i'm going to make this documentary i'm determined no matter you know what i do and i remember saying to myself of course, you have to get behind this. And when uh, I had the opportunity to put in my story, there was a part of me that thought, "Mm, maybe I should, maybe I don't have a story to tell. (laughs) Maybe I've already, (laughs) maybe I've already done all these things in the mixed community by running events and, um, there's there's not much there. And then I realized that that was also a part of this um, pattern of like hiding myself, you know, and kind of a, a pattern of of coping to just kind of blend in and just be happy and, and not actually say anything about what was really under the surface about my own identity and my my own. Um, evolution as a mixed race person so I, I felt this was something that was calling to me and I you know it was just an incredible experience to be a part of the film and I'm really thankful for for Richard for giving me that opportunity because um when I've heard feedback from folks who have seen the film even people in my own family they were like I didn't I didn't know that you felt that way <laughs> so oh, so it came as a surprise yeah yeah I had a I had a, um a cousin on my dad's side reached out to me cuz he saw the film on T- on TVO and and uh he shared what he you know what he got from um watching the film and seeing my perspective and uh really appreciating how you know someone in in his own family might not have felt um fully accepted or fully seen and that was something that uh really moved him. So, you know, you never know who you're going to help by sharing your story even if you don't think your story is that important, but it was important. So, well, that was really. Yeah, I think we
0: all have interesting stories to to share when it comes to a mixed identity. Like, there's just it's such a I think undermined topic. Like, people haven't explored it enough yet.
2: So, well, I, I want to ask you about this uh, opening scene where this uh, young woman who's mixed race says that her parents were told that if I think they were told by their gr- the, the grandparents.
1: One of my uh, grandparents told one of my parents, don't have kids because your kids are going to look like aliens.
2: And that just seems like such a cruel thing to say to somebody, especially someone you love, you know, who's thinking about having children. And I wonder what you two think of just the ways that mixed-race children evoke such strong emotions. Maybe, Richard, you could start us off.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think that's an interesting subject that a, a lot of families sort of struggle with because, I mean, there's a lot of racism in our culture, and it's just—I don't know. Like, even just watching that Meghan Markle interview, where <laughs> we're—I ta- mean, we have to talk about that. I mean, yeah, we're talking yeah, about like the, right. we don't want your kid to be brown, basically, because that's not good for our family. Um, yeah, it's—it's it's weird. I mean, my own grandmother was on my
2: my father's side was definitely uh, a. A racist person i think you know i wanted to ask gina though i mean because you mentioned you had a cousin who didn't know uh you had this kind of experience mm-hmm. growing up um so and that came as a surprise to them uh i'm wondering you know just uh, you know growing up though i mean what was it kind of like for you you know half filipino half white like what was sort of like i guess your experience like
3: uh, well i definitely can share that a common experience for for a lot of mixed people, which I think you've, you've highlighted Colin too, is that how we present to people in our life changes as we move uh, forward throughout the lifespan. So growing up, I appeared very Asian to people. So I was treated as such. And then as I got older, I sort of became looking more, uh, people think I look more Spanish or Latina and people would respond to me differently in that way. And then now I I, I hear it from people that they think I'm like white, which is very interesting. So um, that's just something I wanna highlight. Like growing up, it was a lot more, I was a lot more identifiable as uh, like different from other people. And that was a very uh, struggle for me in school because I was made fun of for this. Um, in my own family, I didn't experience much Sort of microaggressions on either side, just that I kind of felt different because I appeared to look different than everyone else, especially on my, uh, the white side of my family, but nobody ever talked about it. <laughs> no, we never, we didn't like, it wasn't something that was brought up, which I, I always kind of wonder if it's, was this a good or bad thing? Um, and I think being, feeling like I was an other especially as a child and and in school and having experiences of, you know, sort of microaggressions and sort of the subtle racism that kind of bleed through small towns. Um, We, I didn't have a conversation about my, about, you know, racism or race with my family until this past year, Uh, thanks to the film, actually. Uh, my, My parents watched it when it was streaming in Canada for the first time and I think that's something to highlight. I know we were kind of talking about like mixed race children and, and babies, but I think like, you know, babies all grow up to be adults <laughs> and, and I'm, you know, 35 years old. And I just had a conversation about my dad, with my dad about, you know, why didn't we talk about race in our family? Cause it was something that affected me. Um, and my dad was, was said, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had, it, it, when I look at you, I just saw myself, I just saw you, you were my daughter. He didn't see me as anything else differently or or that I was an other to him or other to others. And so interesting because I think now we have Meghan Markle, who is a mixed race woman um, married to, you know, arguably one of the more famous people on the planet. Uh, Prince Harry having these, like, very, very real conversations about what happens in families, like, all over the world, and uh, especially here in North America, where mixed-race uh, families, uh, you know, have been popping up <laughs> for, for a little <laughs> while now, and uh, making it a topic of discussion um and I'll just add one more thing because of Mix and the Six, I've seen some conversations uh, come up online and through folks part of, that are part of the community that have been pretty affected and even triggered by the conversation between Oprah Prince Harry and, and Meghan Markle that they also recall or remember hearing uh, comments being made of their own family members about the color of their skin when they were children, you know, worries that parents or grandparents or, you know, aunts and uncles were worried that they were going to come out darker or how they were going to come out or or otherwise. So it's, it's really interesting to see these conversations coming forward, you know, you know, thanks to um, Meghan Markle and thanks to to Richard's film. So
0: it's funny too, like I never, I mean, I have an interesting relationship with my father, but we did not talk about me being mixed and like sort of how that affected me growing up until the film was done. Like, I'm so I just really weird relationship, but I we don't really have like deep conversations right off the bat, but the only reason he actually, I think brought up the film was, I think I (laughs) maybe had like a link in my email signature about the film and we started talking about it. And uh, it was like the first Time we never talked about the fact that, you know, this was weird and we never talked about it. And uh, so, yeah, it was a, it was an interesting conversation as a result of like making the film, actually having a conversation with my dad for the first time about race and what it meant to have a biracial child like growing up in the U.S. and Canada.
2: Is there something that you wish and Jean, you can answer this as well. Is there something you wish your parents had said to you back then that you would have helped you?
3: Anything. <laughs> I, yeah.
2: Anything. Yeah. Anything.
3: Yeah. Anything. Go ahead, Richard.
2: Yeah. I mean,
0: I'm, that really kind of sums it up. I mean, I think, I think parents have a responsibility to talk to their kids about this. I mean, it, I know people want to think that, you know, we're going to have some mixed kids and it's going to end racism, but that's not how reality works. I mean, there's so much racism ingrained in our society that I think from like practically age, I think, was age three was sort of like the earliest I would read that people or children start to understand race. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think those conversations need to happen almost immediately. And the conversations need to happen with extended family members. Like you really need to start talking about race probably even before the kid's born, because you don't want to have these comments about, you know, how Brown will the baby look or whatever it might be. Uh, but yeah, having at least one conversation, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Probably would have been nice.
3: Yeah, and and I, I want to just also highlight, I think my parents are I love you guys. If you're listening. <laughs> you did a great job. Um, they they only were working with what they knew. Um, and I don't think my parents had the the lexicon and the the information to talk about race with me. Um, so really anything would have been great. Uh, like instead of, you know, sticks and stones may break your bones, but names will never hurt you. When someone was calling me, um, you know, chink on the schoolyard. I, I mean, like anything deeper than that would have been a good, <laughs> a good start. I, I, I think now, and I, I've got this from, I, I've learned this from doing the you know, multiracial, mixed race community work is there. There's so many more resources and books out there around parenting and how to have conversations with uh, children about race, which is really beautiful and heartening because that's what we—that's what we really need. And and race isn't, um, you know, it's a social construct, but it doesn't mean it doesn't affect our lives, and it's still affecting our lives. It's racism is still alive and well, and it's an important thing to not brush under the rug. So I'm, you know, my parents they did the best that they could. Um, the apology from my dad was really something I cried I think like two weeks later
0: <laughs> of joy
3: like in the moment I was like uh-huh thanks dad <laughs> thank you and then like two weeks later I processed it in real time on an interview <laughs> on the podcast um, but but you know they, they did the best they can and now parents of, of mixed race children um, you know have a lot more tools so I think for anyone's listen- whoever anyone who is listening out there to, to really seek those out and um, watch the film, um, you know, listen to podcasts. <laughs> There's lots of information out there to, to support people in having those conversations with their children.
2: Yeah, I, sort of, I can sort of relate because I, I, I don't feel like I, I recall there being a lot of uh, books and uh, certainly no pop culture that, you know, represented their mixed race experience. The closest I could think of was Lawrence Hill's book, Blackberry Sweet Juice, which came out, I think, when I was in college. And that was the first I'd, time I'd actually read a book that was about being specifically black, like black, half black, half white, because that's what Larry Larry Hill's background is. And um, I don't know if I would have how my experience would have changed if I had more explicit conversations around with race with my parents. I think we talked about it, but I don't. For some reason, it, I'm blanking on it what those discussions were about. Um, and like I said, you know, I, I, my experience like was probably a little different from you too in the sense that. I didn't really get a lot of racial slurs thrown my way. Uh, I was pretty lucky in that regard. I got mulatto once, I got half-breed once, but it was kind of like said in ignorance, not out of like maliciousness. And I don't know, I, I, I think I think one thing I always sort of struggled with was because I'm I'm black, but I don't look visibly black, I never experienced the kind of racism that I think a lot of black folks face. And when I was in spaces that were all white, and I was having an argument with someone about race. It was hard for me to like draw upon my own experience in those, in those conversations, right? Cause someone, I, c- I would talk to someone who would just be like, well, race, you know, like, what does it matter? Like we're all the same. And I would have a really hard time, like struggle with like, articulating why it is this person was wrong. And I couldn't really use my own experience. I'd never really experienced racism. I don't know if Richard, you can relate or, or Gina, but that was something that I definitely remember having um, a hard time with.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like for me, I have sort of had racially charged incidents growing up. So uh, <laughs> I am, I, I guess, well armed for those conversations. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's weird when you don't necessarily present as, cause I'm fairly light. I can pass, I think a lot of times for Spanish as opposed to black. So it depends on like, you know, if I have my Afro or if I have my longer hair, then I think it's more clear that I'm a uh, part black, but I'm always, I always feel well armed from uh, my experiences to have the conversation, even if that person might deny my existence for what it is, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. I think, you know, like I, the other thing too, is I also felt in certain circumstances, like, because again, because I don't present as black, I would often feel like, I guess I maybe I didn't have a full appreciation of the black experience to some extent, and even things like you know when the N word gets dropped in a rap song, and I used to love hip hop. Should I say it or should I just not say it? Like I would always have that those those mental gymnastics going through my head at the time. Um, it, now it's kind of like you know I've just accepted it, and when someone's like, "Well, you don't look black," I I kind of grit my teeth and be like, "All right." Fine. <laughs> um, but no, normally I'm just you know, normally I'm just kind of like like, you know, I, I don't hide it. I always kind of tell people, especially when I'm first meeting them and getting to know them, you know, I always mention that, uh, I'm biracial and it's never something I've ever felt like I've had to hide and certainly wouldn't. Um, so I don't know
3: if I may, I, growing up, I, I definitely, like I had described earlier in the interview, I I experienced a lot of that sort of tense tense microaggressions, walking into rooms, feeling like, you know, at any point someone could say something, and most often that they did. Although I, you know, growing up, I thought definitely, um, you know, reduced, and I I, I, and I, can't speak to the Black experience or the mixed Black experience um, whatsoever, but I, I, you know, I want to say that it's been a really, beautiful journey, listening to the stories of mixed black folks on the podcast, really understanding how, um, or getting a, a sort of a, a glimpse of, of what that's like for people because, um, you, we just don't, you know, we just don't know. I think for, for me growing up, I, I thought I was like a victim of racism. And then I was like, Oh no, it hasn't happened to me at all. Um, and then realizing that, you know, being black in this world is, is very much a unique experience that um, not everybody can understand and appreciate. And, and something I hope this makes sense. It's something that I'm really appreciating doing this this work in the community is just because I'm mixed race and I've experienced some hints of racism and microaggressions doesn't mean that I know what it's like to be mixed black or like a you know fully racialized person in this world, because my whiteness does protect me and even my... You know, being Filipino and Asian, you know, we want to lump myself into the model uh, minority-ish, you know, protects (laughs) me as well. And so this is a part of, it's funny, there's the mental gymnastics of how to respond to questions like, what are you? But then there's also this mental gymnastics, like internally of being like, hmm, what is my identity? And how does that, how can understanding my identity and how I show up in, in spaces help myself be a better human and appreciate the the struggles of other people who are racialized um, and from you know other bipoc communities because that's i think where we're headed as a society is we all are affected by race and we all should be thinking about how we can be more sensitive to uh, each other's experiences and um, curious about making changes in the way that we ask questions, the way that we um, uh, treat other people. And I feel like I'm kind of going on a bit of like a philosophy tangent, but.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. okay. We, we're, we're, cool with the, we're cool with philosophy. Yeah, here.
3: like it, I think it's just kind of <laughs> highlighting that this is the, the multiracial experience is a unique one. And I think it's you know, being multiracial doesn't mean we are going to solve racism, but we are, we can be a part of making things better if we, if we want to, because we can kind of take our experiences and be like, okay.
2: <laughs> I, I think this is a kind of a good opportunity to pivot to what you do with uh, Mixing the Six, Gina, because, uh, you know, this was a, a event you co-founded a, a few years ago and, uh, I went to, um, probably the second party you guys threw. And honestly, it was the first time I think I can remember ever being in a room with I guess, like almost, I think everyone <laughs> in the room was Nick race, like I, maybe there was one person who wasn't and I was just astounded by it. And yeah, maybe you could just tell us a bit about what kind of went into the thinking behind uh, creating Mixed in the Six.
3: Yeah, Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, it was So all of the experiences that I've, I've had growing up and then I've, I've shared so far really were the inspiration for um, creating, you know, Uh, Mix in the Six. I I have also been a part of the Mixed Students Association at York um, many moons ago. And really it was around creating a space where, you know, myself and other mixed people could connect and share stories and create a sense of community with each other. Because so many of us grew up not feeling fully seen um, in who we are and able to have the conversations that we say we wanted to have with our families. Um, And as multi, like you said, Colin, like the first time you were in a room with other mixed race people was, you know, just a few years ago, uh, you know, how, how else are we going to find each other? <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> there's like, um, I, I often refer to this, like at York university, there was like two Chinese students associations, two black student association. The Jewish student association was like massive. They had like two washrooms in their, in their office, but, but the, there was no mixed race student association, which, um, we you know, I was a part of uh, leading for a good while. And, you know, it's, it's, we, there isn't just like a, you know, it's mixed hub <laughs> of hangouts, like, to go to, like, there's a Spanish speaking, you know, cultural center in your neighborhood, for instance, right? So it was really responding to a need um to create those spaces for ourselves and uh, mixed in the six uh, was co-founded by myself and Han Kucheng, um after we met in 2016 and yeah we just wanted to to create um, and produce events that would bring people together um g- create friendships, create a sense of understanding and cohesion amongst mixed-race people in Toronto and we had a lot of fun um and then uh, you know life happened so the two of us got super busy and then uh, right when I was, uh, starting to make plans to start doing events again, um, sort of with, uh, sort of a new, you know, new energy, uh, COVID hit. And then, uh, (laughs) I was like, let's do a podcast. So the podcast is (laughs) continuing our, you know, mission, which is the sharing stories and building community with mixed, uh, folks in Toronto and having conversations and, and learning from one another, because, you know, I think, uh, like sort of Richard alluded to earlier, like you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm just because we're mixed, we're not experts on being mixed, but we can become more compassionate and aware by hearing people's stories and listening and um, really getting getting what other people have uh, been through and seeing the similarities and differences, and um, that's what the the podcast and the community to to me is all about is learning.
2: Well, we have to wrap up our conversation, but, uh, I'd like to ask both of you and maybe Richard, you can start us off. Just, I guess what you've learned about the mixed race experience, uh, since you started this project, uh, however many moons ago.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think if I was to think of one thing, it would be that, uh, being mixed is, uh, is not just one thing. Um, People change how they racially identify through the course of their life, through where they're geographically located. There's just so many factors in, I guess, creating that identity. Uh, For example, like if I was back in a small town, I would be probably 100% identify myself as Black versus, you know, living in Toronto, I I can safely identify as a multiracial Black person because I don't know, it's just, it's a different. Uh, landscape. It's not uh, hopefully as polarized, but it also depends on where you are even in Toronto and you might change how you racially identify. So I think that is really interesting that, you know, not everyone thinks of themselves as black or as mixed race or as it's just, there's a gamut of experiences. I mean, there's a a lot of, let's say light skin, black people who will or light-skinned black people who are mixed race, who will completely identify purely as black, and there's no conversation beyond that. Um, And then there's people who might look really dark and describe themselves as mixed. So it really is a gamut of experiences. What
2: about you, Gina?
3: Oh, so what have I learned? Um, Well, everything Richard said, (laughs) and um, that, you know, I think that it's okay to not have all the answers uh, about, you know, I, you know, not about having about my own identity. I mean, that's something that's always developing, as Richard said. And then also, for me, letting sitting with the discomfort of not knowing all the answers about race and identity and multiracial history, um, and letting that drive me forward to to be um, more curious of. Of how we can just make change right and I, I think i sometimes struggle a bit with being sort of this face of this you know little organization it's not really an organization we're really just a, a community but um that yeah that i i need to have all the answers about how to like solve racism which i know is like a, <laughs> i'm like where am i getting this but but i think what i'm trying to say is that being being in its position and being multiracial, we have this really cool opportunity to be a bridge between our different heritages between like white and racialized white and black. And I think that if we want to, this is an opportunity to 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 make an impact to share our stories and be a part of um, creating a like documented history of what mixed race identity is. And I think, you know, Richard beautifully did with his film and there's other films um, being created now. And even with like the many podcasts, ours included, we're we're able to step into this <laughs> confusion of being mixed, but make it into something beautiful and educational where other people will be able to learn from, from the things that uh, that we share.
2: Well, is there anything you guys would like to plug any projects that you're working on? Uh, Where can people find you?
0: Uh, People can find me at richardbpierre.com. And yeah, I got a lot of projects on the go, but I know the clock is ticking. So I'll just say go to richardbpierre.com and check it out.
3: Yeah, and um, you probably best just to follow us on Instagram uh, or Facebook, Mixed in the Six. And six is filled with an S-I-X. Uh, we also have a, a Patreon for our bonus episodes for the podcast, uh, patreon.com forward slash mixed in the six. And then you can catch the uh, podcast by the same name on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like.
2: Great. Well, thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate you joining me today.
3: Thanks for Thank you.
2: That was Richard Pierre, director of What Are You? and Gina Marie, the founder of Mixed in the Six. You know, something we talked about was that Oprah interview with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry about a month ago. And, you know, Meghan talked about just how someone in the royal family was voicing concerns over what their child's skin tone was going to look like. How did you react to that part of their interview?
1: I wasn't surprised, but I mean, it says something that you're concerned about the color of the child instead of is the child going to be healthy? Is the mother going to be healthy? You'd think those are the things that should be at the front of your mind. But, you know, um, as a child, some of my family rejected me because of how fair my skin was and that I had blue eyes, which have morphed into something else. Um, but yeah, I, I had an auntie who would call me devil. So um, if there are these, you know, I, I wish we could talk more about how, um, I wish we could talk more about that stuff. You know, um, it's not surprising. I think there are stories upon stories about that.
2: Yeah, I guess I was pretty lucky because, you know, when I was born, uh, my mother said to the nurse, you know, his skin is, is yellow and, and, and she thought, well, maybe his, it's his skin color. He's, he's black. He's, maybe it's his skin color. And he's like, no, she, he actually has jaundice. <laughs> she laugh. was like, no, 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 he's mixed. It's, his, it's just his skin t-. No, he's like, no, it's, it's jaundice.
1: You're <laughs> I right. Fine, and it's a. Le- and it's a le- I guess it's like a learning curve, right? Because, yeah, yeah, again, yeah. you know, uh, I've had people ask me, where did you get your eyes from? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, why are you? I feel interrogated. I didn't steal them. I was born <laughs> with these eyes. So, um, yeah, but I mean, now you look fine.
2: <laughs> well, thank you. Yes, well, yeah, I've tried. To- I've-, I've-, I've aged... Okay, I guess. But but but, you know, growing up for me, it wasn't uh, such a concern the way I looked in terms of people thinking, oh, is he too light or is he too dark? And I I think that's just because I was, you know, very lucky to grow up with two very loving parents, uh, very loving family, grew up in a very diverse neighborhood, you know. So I I was, yeah, like I said, just kind of uh, uh, privileged in that respect. But I wondered, you know, from because you have two children and, you know, I just wonder, you know, in terms of having conversations about. Race. What's it like talking to them about that?
1: Uh, we've been having these conversations since they were very small. And my one one day, my daughter said, um, "I'm white, and you're white, and my brother is brown, and so is my dad." And I sat down with her. and We had a conversation, and she didn't understand. You know, she's like, "My skin is, you know, fair." She she identified as what her skin color was. Uh, so we've been talking about 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 those conversations, and um, you know, even with my brother, she'll look at my brother and say, "Well, he's not black; he's brown." Mm-hmm. And for kids, this stuff is really—I I always tell my kids that they're smarter than adults. Like when we become adults, we just become so—we um, so many things bear us down, and we don't have the same kind of curiosity as children and she complains that she there's no crayon that matches her skin color uh, or her brothers um so i talk about where we're from about our culture about our ethnic background i tell her that we have family from east africa uh family from wales scotland and ghana and she should be proud of all of those um backgrounds and all of those ethnicities uh because they've made her who she is. So we don't I don't shy away from talking about. It. I've talked to them about Black Lives Matter. I've talked to them about, um, you know, celebrating their cultures, about names. So I feel like information is power, and I also don't know, I want to talk about it. We keep hearing that it's uncomfortable to talk about race, and it makes me (laughs) crazy. Why is it uncomfortable? We should be talking, yes, race is a social construct, but we should be talking about the diversity of, of different cultures. We should celebrate that, and we should have those difficult conversations. If it's a difficult conversation of... Um, understanding that people with darker skin get treated differently than people with lighter skin, have that conversation. I've I've had that conversation with my kids and said, you know, because you have uh, privilege, and I hate saying light skin privilege because it sounds so gross, But that's essentially what it's called, you know, because you have lighter skin, you're not going to be treated the same way as your cousins who have darker skin. I want them to be aware of that, and I want them to push back on that. Um, And kids want to know these things. And if we push it away, you know, what are we telling them?
2: Why do you think it's gross?
1: Because it's saying it's elevating uh, a skin color as being above others. I understand the idea behind it. And that's why I tell my kids that because you have your skin is lighter, you are going to be treated differently. People are going to be not going to be um, even when you look in the systems systemically, um, you're not going to face the same even like I'll talk about hair. Simple thing is hair. My daughter has very fine hair and it's very long and part of it is blonde. People are always talking about, oh, my her hair is amazing. She's got good hair. Good hair, what do you mean? And then her cousin, who's the same age as her, has uh, thick afro hair, and they don't say the same thing to her. And kids notice those things and they become self conscious of those things. Um, and so you're elevating one thing above another. Why are you doing that? You know? So that's why I don't, when we say light skin privilege, it just kind of makes me cringe. Um, I think there's there's a way of explaining what's happening without saying light skin privilege. It sounds like you're you're better because you have light skin. And I know that's how you're treated in society, but I don't know if that's what we should call it.
2: Actually, you just reminded me of something uh, when I was a kid. And I said I grew up pretty privileged. But I, I actually, uh, for a while, maybe a year or so, I called my dad, who's black, by his first name. Ooh. And uh, And you're still alive? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. My my parents uh, still kept me around, even though I was uh, very disrespectful. And I think, you know, I think at the time what I said to them was because he doesn't look like me or he doesn't have the same skin color as me. Now, I eventually grew out of it. But it was just something, you know. Kids are very literal, you know. Like, like you mentioned with your, with your, with your daughter and, and looking at the crayons, you know. Like when you say black to them, like they assume like the color black, right? And obviously, a lot of black people, you know, there are very dark skinned black people, but there are a lot of black folks who are brown. Like my dad is brown, and uh, you're brown, but you know, like it's it's uh it's it's something that kids are. Um,
1: they don't have the time for it. They're, they're very they're, precise. Yeah, they're,
2: they're, they're very precise. And uh, that's why I think it's, it's better. I think it's good that we live in a more, I think there's more information now than there used to be, especially when we were kids, you know, like I think we were kind of like the first, maybe part of the first multiracial generation in a way, because uh, I don't know. I don't know if there were as many uh, interracial families as there is now, but certainly back when I was growing up, uh, probably not as many although I think I grew up in a pretty diverse part of Toronto so I saw it more
1: yeah, it's great that we're living during a time when we have more information but I also worry because people keep saying that you know the more people uh, from different backgrounds the more they have kids of you know different backgrounds like mixed ethnicity then racism will be solved and it's not that simple I don't think because I think people will find something to uh you know maybe if you're brown hair and blue eyes then you're not as special as somebody who has there's always something but i think we have to talk about these things and we have to stop saying they're uncomfortable they're there and you and i We are both light skinned and I'm sure I know when I travel to certain places, I can blend in um, and I don't feel as stressed out as being in certain environments than um, my relatives with darker skin because they can't just, you know, pull their hair back and pretend not to be um, you know, pretend not to be black in order to feel safe. So that's unfair. And that's why I have those conversations with my kids, because this is how the world is shaped. And hopefully it will change, but by not talking about it, it doesn't make it go away. And we all should be celebrating who we are as people. I know it sounds simplistic, but I'm not I grew up a lot as a kid. I was very ashamed of who I was because I didn't fit in anywhere. And so I don't want my kids to have those same experiences.
2: And that's the podcast. You can watch what are you on TVO.org.
1: While you're here, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about us. It helps new listeners to find the show.
2: You can follow me on Twitter at ColinLS81.
1: And you can follow me at Namshine, all one word.
2: Thanks to producer and editor Matthew O'Mara, senior producer Katie O'Connor, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hollowell, and executive producer Lori Few.
1: Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you at the next screening.